through 20. Hebrews 6, 9 through 20. And I appreciate Rob's leading a service on Sunday morning. And, and uh, Eldar's going to be taking over. I haven't told Eldar yet, but he's going to be taking over for him on Sunday morning. So he just found out. So there you go. You can be planning. Isn't that great? I really give you a lot of foreknowledge. <laughs> Hebrews 6, 9 through 20. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. You ever notice that scripture before if you read it a lot in Hebrews 9 where it says there are things that accompany salvation? There are things that accompany salvation. That's why we believe in holiness, because it accompanies salvation. It should be a product of salvation. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope before us. Just before I go any further, why is it impossible for God to lie? Anybody give me a good hand. Why is it impossible for God to lie? Go ahead. Whenever he says it becomes truth. Simple, isn't it? So it's impossible for him to lie. Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into the into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. You may be seated. One of the most complex topics that there is is the topic of life, and I'm sure that everybody in here would agree with that because it uh, just has so many different dimensions. Just about the time you get life figured out in one avenue, there's something that comes up behind you and bites you. And you find out that life's not just what you thought it was. And then, and then you get that little area figured out, and something comes from over here. And then you get that area figured out, and something comes over here. And then, and then before long, you're an old person. And you realize you can never work on to figure the thing out. <laughs> just life is, you know, I, I preached a message one time entitled Life is Like That. And, and it is. It's just like that. There's just different dimensions of life. But, but we're going to discuss some things today. We're, we're going to discuss three of the dimensions of life. And that is the natural life, the spiritual life, and the e and eternal life. And first and, uh, first and most important, we should note that God is the source of all life. There's no life outside of God. He is the source of it all. And he, he determines the length of our natural lives on earth. He also has provided a way for us to have eternal life with Him in heaven. So He is the author of all that is good about life and life itself. Now beyond the natural benefit of human life that all people enjoy, Christians enjoy even, even greater benefits for they are blessed with what the Scriptures call more abundant life. And those who believe and obey the gospel of Jesus have the opportunity to live life to its fullest. They receive blessings that cannot be measured in material values. They are measurable only through the spiritual values. Isn't that great? You ever stop and think about it? You, you cannot determine. I don't care who you are, what you believe, but when you look at someone that has lived for God any length of time, you cannot determine the, the, the wealth of their life by material objects. They may not have anything, but they can be the happiest people on the face of the earth. They may just get by, but they can still be happy people. 
simply because they don't measure life in itself by what they can gain, but they measure it in spiritual benefits, in spiritual wealth, that they've got good families, that their children are healthy, that God has blessed them in areas that sometimes we just neglect, we take for granted, but God has blessed us in those areas. Aren't you glad we got a God who can bless us outside of having all the money in the world? Outside of that, He gives us great and wonderful blessings. And, and that is rich, very, very rich. You know, the Christian lifestyle is a healthy and a happy one. There's peace, there's love, there's joy. There is, here's one. Now, why did Robertson throw this in here? There is resilience. Why would I throw that in the Christian life? Why would you say with peace, love, joy, and resilience? Anybody? That is exactly right. The devil loves to throw you big curveballs, and you've got and, and sometimes you ever notice a curveball, you think it's over here and it comes around here and smacks you in the side of the head. And you know you're laying there and you can lay there and say, Oh, the devil has got me today. Or you can decide to get up. That's what Christians should be. Because the devil is not going to fight you if you're not doing something right. Always remember that. Unless you're doing something right, he's not going to fight you. And sometimes God just says, okay, there he is. Go at it. Go, go, go have a go at him. Sometimes, sometimes God sicks the devil after you. Now, I believe that. You can say, I, mean, I got, got book for it. Job's old book's about it. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes he, just, he says, okay, Eldar here has just been lazy. Now, I'm not, I know that. The tree I picked on you because I know better than that. Poor Eldar has got so many irons in the fire, and I keep throwing more things. He is a great guy. I love him. I tell you what, he does a lot of good things. But anyway, we're just going to use you for an example, all right? I'd say all that so I could do this, all right? <laughs> you know, Eldar's lazy. You know, it's time for him to get up and start doing something. It's time for him to act on what he knows. So he sicks the devil after him. And all of a sudden, his life turns upside down. Now, granted, sometimes your life turns upside down because you turn it upside down. Nothing to do with God or the devil. Okay? So keep that in mind. That's because you do stupid things. Everybody say stupid things. You know, I, I just do things that are not... I, I don't really think. I don't pray. I don't think. I, I, I think uh, this is the right thing to do, and I don't really think it out or pray it out and get any direction from God, and so bad things happen. But then sometimes, again, you just God sicks the devil after someone, moves them, gets them up, and starts moving them in the right direction. Now, there again, there's where the resilience comes in. The resilience comes in is when you, things are going against you, but you determine that you love God anyway, and you're going to go with this, whatever, whatever may come your way. That is what a Christian does when he's resilient. If the devil is coming at me and plaguing me on every corner, I'm not going to give the devil credit for it. I'm just going to get up and say, all right, God, what is it that I need to do? What is it that you're trying to say to me here? Instead of, instead of just giving up and saying, what's the use? I'm just going to throw it in. I'm going, to, I'm going to throw in the town, quit trying to serve God. You make a determination. I'm going to go, and I'm going to act on faith. I'm going to walk by faith. I may not feel a good thing. Everything may be going bad, but I know that Jesus is good. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the process here. Of course, everybody knows me in length of time. I've had kidney stones since I was 17 years old, and I, got, I, think, I really believe there may be two working on me right now. And, 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 you know, I, I've, I've always, for years, I've prayed, God, take care of these kidney stones. Well, I keep getting rid of them. And I need to praise God, please help me not to make any more. <laughs> okay, please. You know, because I'm doing exactly, everything's going right. God's answering prayer. I'm getting rid of them. You know, I'm getting rid of them. Sometimes we just, we, we don't think about what we say. And we, we, have to, we have to just realize that God may have something in store for us in, in, in areas. And it, it's just, you know, our, our prayer meeting Wednesday night, we took that time to stop and listen. With exception, where is she? I don't see her. She's out there somewhere. Exception of Connie. Where is no, she? Okay. She was sitting right here, sitting by Krista. And I said, let's just take a minute of complete quiet and let God speak to us. And 20 seconds later, I heard Connie said, I never heard it be so quiet in here. 
<laughs> and if you've been around Connie, you know she'll get giggling. Yeah, and so he started giggling a little bit, and you know it, it was funny. We still had people still heard from God, but in Connie's way, that was Connie, and that's what we love about Connie. <laughs> that's what we love about her. But it was, it was, it, you know, it was a time to listen. And sometimes we get going so fast, we fail to listen. Just hearing the voice of God, just just knowing that God is there, and and you know, I, I got, I, I've given you an hour worth of my words of prayer. Now I'd like to hear from you. That's wonderful. How did you get in resilience with that? Well, that, that's just part of it all. So sometimes it's sometimes stopping, resilient enough sometimes to, to, to stop and realize that, that it's not all just about me. It's about, it's about him. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about what does he have for me? What does he want to say to me? So that's, that's so valuable in our relationship with him. And then resilience, and then there's contentment, and then there's, in spite of adverse circumstances, and Strength uh, that is adequate for any trial of life. These are and some of the blessings that Christians enjoy. In fact, social scientists have discovered that individuals do better and have happier and more prosperous lives when they love God and love their neighbors. That's social scientists that have found that when you love God and you love your neighbors and you honor your parents and you live moral lives. You just, just put those things in a line right there. If you live that kind of life, you're more prosperous. You do better. All humans... All humans have that natural breath of life, but Christians also have the promise of eternal life. Breathing is a, a natural part of being alive, but God's promise of eternal life carries a person beyond that, uh, the point where breathing stops and natural life ends, and believers have the assurance that they're going to live forever. So when God breathed the breath of life into us, we have, we've got something. We've got breath in this natural life, but, but there's something else there in a Christian. There is that hope. When that, that breath of life that God breathed into man is passed down through the, through the years, there's something that mixes through the baptism of the Holy Ghost with that breath of life that makes us eternal beings with, to be with Him. We're eternal regardless. You know, you're going to either go to heaven or go to hell. But to be an eternal being that can be in heaven, that's the promise. That's the promise that each and every one of us have when we allow that breath of life to mix with the Spirit of God when we receive that wonderful baptism of the Spirit. Now, on the other hand, those who refuse to obey the gospel live a vastly inferior lifestyle. Further beyond this present life, unrepentant sinners do not enjoy the promise of eternal life or bliss. The scriptures describe their future state of existence as a miserable one. And and it's far removed from the presence of God. Many Old Testament characters. Now, folks, if you if you're any kind of Bible scholars at all, if you read through uh, the Old Testament, you're going to see something here. They did not comprehend eternal life. A lot of your Old Testament characters, and you read through, and even you read into the Psalms, they didn't quite comprehend eternal life. Uh, they lived before Jesus Christ and were unaware of the extent of the redemptive plan that was coming. They knew there was something coming. They knew there had to be a hope. And you, you read it in the prophets. You read it in the Psalms. There, there was something there, but they didn't have the grasp that we have today because they didn't understand the plan. Uh, he, you know, Jesus would fulfill and make possible in this redemptive plan. And today, you know, can we realize the hope for eternal life with God? And it depends entirely on sharing in, in the Lord's conquest of sin uh, and death and experiencing the new birth and, and, and made, that's made possible by Him. When you experience the new birth, then you, you, you begin to exist with or understand or be a part of what Jesus Christ conquered when He conquered sin and death. The revelation about the afterlife awaited Jesus' coming. That, that, they had to, to really understand the afterlife. Because you read through, even in the, uh, even in the, in the Gospels, you'll read uh, the rich man and Lazarus, where the, Lazarus was in the, the, the uh, uh, breast or was lying in, the, in, in the, the bosom, it says, the bosom of Abraham. And, and he looked over, the rich man could look over from hell, and he could see Lazarus, that poor old Lazarus who was, who was uh, full of sores and laid at the rich man's door, and the dogs licked his sores. And, and he, could, he could look over and see that, that Lazarus had peace in the afterlife. Abraham could talk to the rich man, but it never said that Lazarus ever comprehended that the rich man was talking to him. Or talking about him. He never, it doesn't say that. The rich man could see in that place. It was a place of, 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 of rest, a place I believe that is, the Bible calls paradise, 
But it was still, there was just a gulf between them. It was still in the earth. It took Jesus Christ's crucifixion and resurrection to go down and take captivity captive. I'll probably come back to that in a few minutes. Take captivity captive. He took it out. And if you remember that, that during the time of the crucifixion, during that time while he was in the tomb, and it said that the dead, that they saw the dead, the graves opened up and the dead began to walk. It was because they were beginning to be taken out of that place. They weren't in a place of torment, but they weren't in a place of bliss either. Not like what Jesus had gained for them. He took it out of there and took it into that paradise, into a place that is above us somewhere or in a different dimension, whatever you want to say. I don't want to get too complicated here, but Robertson's theology is that one of these days all this thing that we see is just going to be ripped back and it's going to be right there. That's the way I believe it. It's not a, you know, as far as the New Jerusalem goes, it says it's going to be descending from heaven, but I believe it's right there. And what's going to happen is this. He's going to pull back the curtain that we see, and, and we're going to be able to see it. Isn't it going to be great? Now, I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be any kind of uh, science fiction or anything for you. I don't want you to believe that. But, you know, people in the science fiction got all this somewhere. Probably 90% of it they got out of the Bible, and they just begin to twist it up a little bit. So, you know, that, that's the way it's going to be. So, so they didn't quite understand. In fact, the psalmist said this in Psalm 6 and 5. He said, For in death there is no remembrance of thee in the grave who shall give thee thanks. So, so the psalmist couldn't quite comprehend. You know, death was just a, a state of being. They weren't being tormented if they had lived by the law, but it was just a place of non-existence. That's how they saw it. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to take all that away. And all the Old Testament saints would go to be with him in paradise. But it took the redemptive plan of Jesus Christ, the shed blood, the crucifixion, the resurrection, for all this to take place. You know, sometimes, folks, we just need to remember what Jesus really did for us. This is not some kind of tale that is, that is told in the sense of, of, of something you might read out of a book. This is reality. Yes, we read it out of this book, but this book is real. This book has life. That book is, is something that is a living entity. It is the words of God. And those words cannot tell us a lie. Jesus purchased my, my salvation. I'm just as sure of that as the fact that I'm looking from this platform back in your faces right now. I know that to be a fact. And anybody who would think any less of that, there's something wrong with you. You need to get in agreement with what Jesus has done for us. Believe it with all your heart and know that one day, if you have lived by His Word, if you have lived by His law, if you please, then you know that one day you're going to be in heaven with Him. And if you believe that with me, give Him a good hand clap of adoration and praise and say, God, I believe it with all my heart and I know it's going to be so. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, death is, is properly understood as a separation. Physical death is a result of the separation of the body and the spirit. Eternal death is a separation of the physically dead person from God. Can you imagine what it would be like to not feel God any longer? I don't care how down I may get or have gotten in the last 30 years of serving God. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I've been down before. I've had bad experiences. I've had bad times. And there's been times that it felt like that God wasn't as near. But I've never, ever not been able to feel it. I've never, ever been to the point where I couldn't feel that gentle touch. No matter how low I was, how mad I was. Anybody ever got mad at God? Huh? Come on, you come on, raise your hands. Come on. Ah, there we go. You know, I've said this before. Don't ever be too embarrassed about being mad at God. Being mad at God acknowledges He exists. It's when you don't acknowledge He exists is when you get a problem. Everybody gets upset. Well, God, why didn't you do this for me? And then later on when He does it the right way, you feel so bad because you <laughs> you got mad. So how could I believe that God wouldn't have taken care of this? And then you come around, and two weeks later, you're mad about something else. The nature of people is to not think clearly, <laughs> all of us, at the right time. So, so, so we, we do. We all get angry. But can you imagine never feeling him? I've been angry at God before and told him about it and still felt you could feel the compassion and the love that came through the Holy Ghost. You could still feel it. 
I can't imagine, but that's exactly what the separation, eternal death is. Eternal death is when a person is separated from God and will be thrown into hell. Eternal life is made possible by Jesus Christ and entails an eternity where God and redeemed people live in relationship. Now, the promise of eternal life that is given to believers surpasses any hopes that even angels might have. Angels are spirit beings created before human beings. While angels have the same ability to choose right or wrong as human beings, God has not provided them with any plan of salvation or spiritual restoration once they rebel against God and His purpose for them. You know, the, uh, 1 Peter 1.12 says, And to whom it was, it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. By them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Now, in, in the moments preceding God's breathing the breath of life into Adam, he would have, you, really, you ever think about this? You know, God spoke everything into existence except Adam. And so, God is forming Adam out of the dust of the earth. And he, he, he's there, and he just, and just, you know, no movement, no nothing. Just a statue. The only being that was ever breathed the breath of life into was Adam. Now, I personally think there is something that goes on every time a child is born. But, biblically, the only thing that I can see is Adam having the breath of life breathed into him. So he's standing there all probably good looking as I am. You know, you got to understand, folks, I've I got to get someone to do something or agree with me here because my wife never agrees with me at home when I make statements like that. So i got to do that here. So you got this statue standing there. And all of a sudden, God goes... And it animates. I mean, just boom. He breathed it into him. Now, whether God still does it or not, or that breath of life was good enough from Adam to go all the way through until the rapture of the church, which it very well could. I mean, there you have, you have this being, this human, and he breathes the breath of life into him, and he becomes alive. And then later on, Adam, of course, being a genius the way he is, I know I've made a statement before, but um, I've also often believed because even uh, throwbacks, I think that, you know, we know genetically that there can be throwbacks all the way back generations. And I think geniuses that you have today is a throwback all the way to Adam because he had to have been. Even in the natural, I'm saying that he goes all the way back and you have geniuses as throwback all the way to Adam because here Adam's got these animals walking by one right after the other and he's speaking their names. It's like this, boom, boom, boom. He doesn't have to stop and ponder it. I mean, he knows a raccoon's a raccoon. He doesn't have to say, well, I wonder why we'll call this a raccoon, you know, or a possum or an armadillo. That looks like a possum, you know, so that's what we'll call it a possum. I'm sorry, old possum. Let's be right here, old possum. I mean, that, we all, you know, in the Midwest, you, you get the old possum making it's an old possum, you know, old possum. Well, you know, everybody hates an old possum. <laughs> but, but you know he just he just speaks it into existence, and then and then he sees that every animal has a mate except him, and so God makes one like him, but completely different. But he does not breathe the breath of life into Eve, because the breath of life had to come from Adam. He takes a rib out, he forms her. And he, he makes this possible. It's interesting if you look at the words. Uh, the Hebrew word for breath is ruach, and, and the Greek word is pneuma. And these words express the life force element that creates and sustains human existence. Life comes from God. Real life involves that which is spiritual and eternal. And Jesus revealed to mankind that life is more than acquisition of material things. Life comes from God who is external. 
However, God facilitates eternal life by first transforming a person's spirit within through his Holy Spirit, which he fills a person with, or when he fills a person with the Holy Ghost. And he transforms and quickens that person's human spirit, and that person receives God's presence, which will ultimately lead him to eternal life. So God has breathed us. He's given us natural life, but he gives us eternal life through his spirit. It's interesting because... The term rushing mighty wind on the day of Pentecost is the same word pneuma. So that rushing mighty wind was a second form of the breath of life that gave us eternal life. And guess what? That rushing mighty wind. Now I know people have said they've heard it when they received the Holy Ghost, and I believe everybody's different. But that rushing mighty wind on the day of Pentecost was sufficient to take it all the way through time and eternity just like the breath of life for Adam was sufficient to give every human being on the face of the earth life. One time. Do you realize how big a God we serve? I, I, I can't help it, but I, I think I was, I was studying this. I was thinking about the breath of life, you know. And every time you breathe, you go to bed at night and you can't think about breathing. It's involuntary. You don't think about breathing. It's an involuntary muscle. But how quickly is something can compress those lungs and you no longer breathe? You know, I was a, a scuba diver in 1976, and I, I worked at it for 16 years. My son has done the same thing. But oftentimes, after I got in church and I was diving, I would think about that a lot because I was one of those people that I didn't want to quit a job until I absolutely... Because you had to go up, you had to change tanks, and you were working underwater, and, and, I, and I hated doing that because it just took time, and you know, I was trying to bolt cables together, and you was putting nuts on the on the, on the the saddles and, and uh, the cables, and you make the loop around the anchors and so forth. And, and I would go down there, and, and I'd have a... Of course, you couldn't see anything, and you had to... You, you had to have everything in your hand real close by, and if you stirred up the mud, you lost everything. And, and so you're down there, and you're working, and you've you got one more nut to tighten. And all of a sudden, your tank is going, you know, and it's, it's just, it gets real. Of course, when it gets empty, you're going, you know, like just sucking as hard as you can. <clears throat> so you get one more last breath out of that thing, and you hold it, hoping you can tighten that, and that's how, that was stupid. My son probably did the same thing. You know, the apple didn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> and, you know, you, you did it, and then you hope that you, of course, you, you're down. You're not down too deep, but you've got to breathe out when you come in because you're on compressed air. You'll get an embolism. And so you've got to remember to blow that out, and then you're going up, and you had that last breath, and you're getting rid of it, and you hope that you can get everything out right before that last couple of feet, and you start wanting to take another breath. And, and you know, I, I thought many times when I was doing that, how easy, how quickly life can be snuffed out. All I had to do was spit out that regulator, take him one breath of water, and it's all over with. And, and, and how simple it would. And, and it's the same way. God holds our lives in the palm of his hand. He gave us that breath of life. And how quickly we can lose that breath of life. And how easily we can lose it. So God is the giver of life. And he is the one who can sustain us. Now, Jesus described the devil as a liar and a deceiver. In addition, he is a thief and a murderer in John 10.10. 10. I've read that through you earlier. Satan is condemned and destined to spend eternity in hell. And Satan was an angel in heaven. But his self-absorption and pride caused him to challenge God and lead a, rebellious, a rebellion of one-third of, of a, heaven's angels. Consequently, he and those angels that followed his lead were cast from heaven and condemned to everlasting torment. You see that in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. It is important to understand that sin has a double consequence. First, sin deprives a person of communion with God, both in this life and the life to come. Second, sin robs a person of the eternal life God had planned for him to enjoy and it destined and, and it excuse me and it destines that person to eternal punishment. The only antidote for sin is purification by the sanctifying blood of Jesus Christ. And without forgiveness of sin, mankind is set to suffer the consequences of his willful disobedience. On the other hand, God's gift to mankind is forgiveness of sin. He holds that breath of life in his hand, and he gives us an opportunity for us to maintain an eternal joy and bliss with him, and he offers forgiveness. 
regardless of what you have done, regardless of who you are, regardless of your background, regardless of who your parents are, regardless of who you're, whether you're a blue blood or a, a Midwestern red blood. It doesn't make any difference. God offers forgiveness of sin, of sin and restores our communion with God and provides us with the promise of eternal life. Satan did not want mankind to have the life he lost through his own self-will. And consequently, Satan is set about to deceive and to ruin humankind, which began in the Garden of Eden. And he attempts to deceive and destroy man appear throughout. His attempts appear throughout the Bible. Um, and if he could not have heaven, then he surely did not want anybody else to have heaven. So here we are, mankind being as fragile as what he is. And you've got a deceiver out there that God has allowed to, to come into this life so that we can depend on him. And I'm saying all that to say this. Since man is so fragile, since man can be so easily, if you please, snuffed out, and we have a deceiver out there that tries his best to stop us from having eternal life, it comes down to this. This life does not matter. What matters is eternal life. And what the devil is trying to do is rob you of eternal life. Jesus made this statement. He said, fear not he that can destroy the body, but fear the one that can throw both body and soul into hell. You don't fear what the devil can do to you. He can't do anything God doesn't allow. Always remember that. You know, if you think the devil has killed somebody, don't ever believe that. That person is not dead. That person, if he's lived for God, has really got true life. Sometimes we have to be reminded of what this is all about. Satan was successful in deceiving Eve and causing both her and Adam to fall into temptation. He led them into sin of disobedience that resulted in their losing their earthly immortality. Now, after their fall from innocence... God barred the man and the woman from the Garden of Eden, and he kept his word by pronouncing upon them the sentence of eventual death. Now, when Adam and Eve finally died at a ripe old age, you see that in Genesis 5-5, Adam was 930 years old when he died. The breath of human life left their bodies and returned to God who gave it. And Ecclesiastes 12-7 tells you this. While God judged and punished Adam and Eve appropriately, he also gave them a glimpse of future hope. God had a plan to enable mankind once again to have access to immortality. 3,000 years later, God made the way to eternal life available through the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God became incarnate. Why don't you love talking about the incarnation? There's not an apostolic preacher that doesn't love the incarnation. 1 Corinthians 5.19 talks about it. The immortal, eternal, holy spirit of God took upon himself the flesh humankind if you would through the flesh of Jesus Christ he did it through him the son of God and we call this the incarnation Jesus Christ grew up as the son of Mary and Joseph but soon it was evident that he was more than just a man and in Christ was the perfect combination of both humanity and divinity the perfect combination Mary was his human mother, but the Holy Spirit was his divine father, according to Matthew 1.20. He was Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, Matthew 1.23. In him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2.9. Why did God manifest himself in human flesh? God came in flesh that he might redeem mankind. From sin, Matthew 1.21, Jesus Christ suffered and he died on the cross in the stead of sinful mankind. Every one of us in here deserves to die because every one of us is sinners. But because of the incarnation, because of the crucifixion and the resurrection and that wonderful, spotless, sinless blood that was shed on the cross, everybody in here can be justified through obedience to the Word of God. Come on, forgiveness of sin baptism in Jesus name the infilling of the wonderful spirit of God aren't you glad to know who Jesus is aren't you glad we should shout the glory and the hope we should be thankful to every end because I know Jesus is God the one true God and not another praise God praise God praise God God commanded Adam to be fruitful and multiply. Although it is not the only secret to abundant life, the relationships developed through family and friends are vital 
to a live, living life in its abundance. And as John, John Don said this, he observed with similar words, many of you have heard this, he said, no man is an island. Paul said, no man liveth to himself, nor does any man dieth unto himself. So actually, Don just picked up the words of the Apostle Paul, changed it a little bit, and you hear that more often than what you hear what Paul said. No man liveth to himself. You can't, you can't be effective and be a social introvert. You can't, no matter what. Everybody in here at one time or the other would like have had this desire to go find him a mountaintop somewhere, go up on the mountaintop and avoid people altogether. Now, that would be okay for about two weeks, and especially you, Sister Evans, you would not make it probably three days. She'd have to talk to a recorder and play it back. It's the only way she could do it. <laughs> you can talk to yourself, can't you? <laughs> Socially isolated persons are generally unhappy. They have no one to share their joys and their sorrows with. And this greatly minimizes their pleasure and exacerbates their, their pain. It is a, a fact that having a network of family and friends tends to cultivate longer and healthier life. Now, this is some interesting facts here. Family and friends offer a network of social support and reduces the risk of social isolation. No matter what, we don't need social isolation. And I believe me, I'm one of those who, that uh, would have liked to have gone on the mountaintop and built me a cabin. But I also know that I'm kind of like, I like to talk too much. And I've got to have somebody there to talk to, even if that person does not answer me. I've got to have someone to talk to. My wife, after 37 years, knows how to just sit there, do something else, and let me talk. And then when I'm done, I ask her a question. She doesn't have a clue what I've just said. <laughs> oh. I, I, before I go any further with this, I want to bring something up. Eve expressed a nurturing spirit to her husband and offspring. So it is natural that women the world over show care and love to their families. Now, the reason I, I, and that kind of goes along with this, but the reason I said that, if a woman does not have a nurturing instinct, that's unnatural. Okay, now, I'm going to take this one step further. The Bible says, in the last days, there will be unnatural affections. Now, we quickly point at, which I don't agree with, of course, you know that, we quickly point at homosexuality. And we think that's all, un and it is unnatural. But there's more unnatural things out there than just that. And I think we're living in a time when you have got a lot of women out there who have children and want to give them away, throw them in dumpsters. That's unnatural. I might as well throw this one in. You've heard it before. I'm going to throw it in one more time. And when little Toto, your dog, gets his toenails painted and ribbons in his hair and your kids go hungry, that's unnatural as well. Is that good preaching? Yeah. All right. I, I, when I say that, I, I, have, I, I know, I'm sure none of you do things like that, but... You know, when I was I, I, when I was down at the marine, I saw that all the time. I just used to get so angry that you had these dogs that were better off. You know, the kids look like bums. These dogs look great. I've done things I, to those dogs that I don't want to think about. I remember one little dog. And he looked like, a, you know, it was one of those little long-haired dogs, had a little ribbon between his ears, you know, had painted toenails. And uh, he was doing something on the dock that you, dogs are not supposed to do on the docks. You understand? Okay. And I had to be the one who took care of that mess. So little Toto got kicked in the lake. And on, he was not on the shore side of the lake either. He was on the opposite side. And he was the deep side. And I watched, oh, I was mad. And I watched, now, I, you know, I, I got a heart. I know you don't think so. But Toto was doing his best to get up on the dock, you know. And he was running out. The breath of life was about to leave him. 
He started to go under. Not when he made his last little up, I reached down and grabbed him by his his ears and pulled him up and put him on the dog. You know what? I never had any more trouble out of that dog. Never did. In fact, I never seen that dog afterwards. That's the last time I seen him. He was gone. I'm sorry, folks. When when that that's unnatural. And I'm saying I know I'm saying a whole lot here, and I know a lot of dog lovers out there, and I know that I'm going against uh, I'm going against politically correctness when I talk about animals in this way. But they are that. They are animals. The Bible says the spirit of animal goes into the earth. The spirit of man goes up. I don't care how many dogs you have. You can have one for, you know, every day of the week. You have coon dogs, rabbit dogs. York, York. I kind of like those little Yorkies, but I can't afford one. Uh, but <laughs> can you imagine me with a little Yorkie? He could probably, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, you can, it, it, you can have it, but it's a fact when they become something that all your affections is turned on becomes unnatural. It can be anything. When all your affections are on anything, it's not natural. Now going back, according to the according to a website, www.teencarecenter.org, research shows the following is true. Good relationships have been linked with many health benefits, including protection against cardiovascular disease. Across a number of surveys, married individuals report greater happiness and life satisfaction and have a lower risk of depression than their unmarried counterparts. Across all, cause, across all causes of death, unmarried people have higher death rates than those who are married. Long-term studies show that being married provides much greater protection for mortality for men compared to women. The death rate is 50% higher among unmarried women and 250% higher among unmarried men. Positive spousal influence and involvement may encourage healthy behaviors and discourage unhealthy behaviors. Married persons, particularly women, appear to have a health advantage relative to their unmarried counterparts through the increased availability of socioeconomic resources. Now, these are uh, statistics, and, and I tell you, these, you, know, you can't always pay attention, but there is something to it. It's the fact that we need one another. And, and, and if you would take that, and we don't have statistics, but I believe this, when it comes to the unmarried, if they have a good social network within a church, that would help them. Because people need one another. God has designed that. We love God with all of our heart. We love our neighbor. We need one another. And the problem with needing one another is that we get on one another's nerves. Now, come on. That's the truth. You know, your brothers and sisters, and I see people get mad, just like I had a sister. She used to dislike me. I think she may still dislike me. But, <laughs> you know, it's, but she's my sister. And I wouldn't, she would not be my sister no matter what. I love her. And, and that's the way it is. And, and within the church, it's the same way. You may get on one another's nerves, but it's your brother and your sister, and you love them. And it should be treated that way. There is going to be disagreements there are going to be times of disharmony but you still love those people no matter what now i know that this coming saturday they had this golf thing is coming up and you know i being i've only played golf four times but i'm much better than chris and so chris is going to be upset if I beat him, you know. But he, I'm his pastor and his brother as well, so he's going to love me no matter what. You understand that, okay? I just wanted you to be sure that you, you got that down. <laughs> Even after death, our influence will live on in the lives of those we have touched. Isn't that a great thing? You know, I, I enjoy I enjoy teaching. I enjoy Wednesday nights. I enjoy Sunday mornings because I can. it's an interaction type thing with me. I enjoy that. Uh, and that's 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 a very that's a big thing. And I, I you know one of the greatest things that I could ever hope for is that at my death I can have people that I've had a positive influence on. That is the greatest thing. Not only my children, uh, my grandchildren, but uh, but uh, you know the church as well. To know that you've had a positive influence, and that's exactly what we do. Because after death we should you know we should live on in people that we've touched and whom we've interacted with. We we touch our families, friends, business associates, and even the persons in the street. And we've shared ourselves. You know, folks, when you go out and you knock doors and you may not have, you may not have a whole lot of uh, benefit if you please 
God always gives us benefit. Whenever you plant seed, you're going to benefit from it. But sometimes the people you talk to, you, you walk away from them and you think, Have I, has this been worthwhile? But you would be surprised that sometimes years later, the people that I have heard personally, personally, that said that someone knocked on their door and they remembered that, that something was planted in their hearts as well. You, you've interacted with somebody. You've invited them to church. You've taught them a Bible study. You've, you've done something. You've interacted. You've touched their lives. And believe me, God begins to work after that. He, believe, he begins to work. Another aspect of living an abundant life involves tapping into the spiritual resources offered to us through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we will enjoy abundant life and a life that will exceed abundance uh, and become even more abundant. So we, we're looking for that abundance of life. You know, the Holy Ghost baptism provides supernatural power to accomplish spiritual exploits and, and otherwise unattainable. The Holy Ghost also provides everything a person needs to function as an emissary of Jesus Christ. Paul lived an amazing life despite his many afflictions that were described in 2 Corinthians 10:12. However, Paul declared he was willing to experience them so that the power of Jesus Christ may rest upon me, 2 Corinthians 12:9. Do you realize what he's saying there? He said, I'll go through whatever I have to go through. I'll endure whatever I have to endure so the power of Christ can rest upon me. An abundant life is knowing that the power of Christ rest upon us, to know that when I speak to someone that the power of Christ is working through me, that even though that person may get angry, that person may slam a door in my face, I know that I planted something in that person's heart regardless. That's the power of Christ, and that's what we're talking about. Any questions, comments? I'm going to give you a little time. I can teach on, but I don't want to teach on right now. Abundant life. What is an abundant life? What is an abundant life? If you wanted to describe an abundant life, anybody want to give me a description of what you consider to be? And you've just heard me teach it, power of Christ resting upon you. But in your case, are you looking for, what are you looking for personally? In your case, what are you, what are you looking for? Anybody want to try that? What are you wanting in an abundant life? How do you want God to work in your life? Anybody? Nobody? Nobody? I know you do, but he's first. He was first. He was first. Sorry. <laughs> he spoke. I could hear him. I couldn't hear you. And that's amazing. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Okay, sis, go ahead. And you know, you're so right. As And I'm certainly, this Memorial uh, Weekend, and uh, a lot of lives were lost to give us that stinking. <laughs> I mean, it really was. I, we are, we're spoiled. Men lost their lives to give us it. We, we have spoiled something. Uh, what we've done in, in our pursuit of liberty and freedom, and uh, we somehow confused what this was all about with material gain. We, we have. We, we've confused it. Because we, we uh, you know, liberty is the ability, I mean, really, initially, our country was founded on freedom of religion. That's what it was founded on. And, and now we've, you know, we've taken that and gone too far with it because our nation is a Christian nation. I don't care what anybody says. What they, it is a Christian nation. And they've taken, they've taken things way too far out of context. And, and uh, just to be able to help your neighbor, to love your neighbor, uh, to in, encourage the people, to introduce people to the, to the truth, that is the greatest thing that we've got. The greatest thing to help someone find eternal life. Anybody else? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. 
not real joy. Happiness is not real joy. Did you have your hand up? Did you? Yeah. Finding your purpose. Good. Excellent. You had your hand up. Yeah. That's that's excellent. That's great. Everything you need. If we can, all of us could think that way, we'd be a whole lot better off. Go ahead. Right. There's abundant life right beside her. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Go ahead. the truth. Very good. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, all right. Exactly right. That's good. That's good. And any man who's married should say that's a part of his abundant life. That's exactly right. That's right. Go ahead. Anybody else? Anybody else? On the north side? Anybody on the north side? Northerners are always cold. 